Well, good morning. Before we jump into our text, I just want to uh, just want to make mention of something that many or maybe everyone here is now aware of, but may not have come in here aware of today. Um, I sent an email out yesterday uh, regarding an, uh, a report that Reed and Cindy got, uh, not a good report, about uh, some of her health concerns. She got a CT scan uh, back on Friday. And it shows that uh, she has colon cancer that has also metastasized and spread to her, uh, to her lungs. And so that is, um, was kind of uh, a bit of a blow uh, for Reed and Cindy, for, uh, for the kids, um, for my kids as well, um, their grandkids. And so um, we're praying, right? And Reed and Cindy want you to know, Reed's, I'm talking for him, <laughs> but they really do want you to know that they're encouraged and trusting the Lord and hoping in him. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to pray as a body for all the help that they need in every single way. The obvious way is for Cindy to be healed, but there's a lot of other things that uh, we pray and, and ask for God's help in. Um, so I just I wanted to make sure that you knew that and heard from up front here uh, what's going on uh, with Cindy. It kind of helped give some clarity to some of what's going on, of course, uh, which is good. It's good to kind of operate with knowledge and uh, be able to move forward. Uh, they're going to meet with the oncologist this next week, I believe. Is that still the plan? Or um, Okay. Anyways, more information will be out. We'll sh- read, Cindy, me, we'll share it with you as it's appropriate. But I really do think um, some of what we've been teaching on the last few weeks and this morning is so helpful and relevant. Um, I love, you know, as you walk with the Lord for any length of time, you, uh, you can look back and see how he works and orchestrates things and is governing things, and you can see it at a high level, and then you can see it at a deeply personal level, and you can see it in your family and in a church family. It's called God's providence, and I love seeing how God has providentially been speaking to us as a body uh, as we've led up to today and, as, and what he has to say to us even this morning. We've been talking a lot about hope in Christ and the strength that that future hope gives us now in the midst of trials and difficulties, sufferings of all kind. And um, this morning is more help for us, more help for Reed Cindy, more help for all of us, uh, the difficulties we go through. And of course, we are walking with Reed and Cindy through this, so it's help for all of us today. We've been going through Romans 8, or I've been going through Romans 8 every other week. And I hope you've seen that as we've been going through this, we have touched on again and again the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's been highlighted over and over again. It's central to the theology of Romans 8 without question from beginning really to end. And in fact, um, Romans 8 might be the quintessential chapter on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. I've not heard someone say that. That's just my thought. I don't know. It talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. The point of our text this morning is a particular kind of help the Spirit gives us that I think is deeply encouraging and needed. But before we jump into our two verses today, I just want to do a quick overview 
of what we've seen so far in terms of the ministry of the Spirit among God's people, okay? So let me just kind of do a quick review, going back to Romans 8, 1 and 2. Okay, Romans 8, 1 and 2. This is going to be really quick. Um, Romans 8, 1 and 2, we see that it's the Spirit who gives us life and frees us from the law of sin and death, right? The Holy Spirit gives us life. The the law of the Spirit of life, the, the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, verses 3 and 4, we see that it's the Spirit who fulfills the righteous requirement of God's law in us, right? Jesus did it for us, right? He lived the perfect life we could never live, and we are justified through faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit works that righteous requirement in us. And if you remember, the, the, the righteous requirement of the law is summed up in one word. You guys know what that is? Love, right? The, the, the law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. So all those commands are summed up in all the commands, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, and so forth, are summed up in love your neighbor. And the Holy Spirit works that into us and fulfills the righteous requirement of the law in us as we walk with him and walk in his strength. In verses 5 to 9, we saw that the Spirit doesn't just give us life. It's not like he is just something he gives us, like he sends to us, but because he lives in us, he actually is our life. Right? He, he, he gives us this brand new life. Where, right? His, the, God's Spirit comes and dwells in our spirit and we are born anew. So Paul can say we are no longer in the flesh, dominated by the flesh, but we are now in the Spirit and he's in us. Verse 13, we see that the Spirit gives us spiritual life now, but he also in the future will give life to our mortal bodies. And again, we've talked, Reed and I have talked about this the last three weeks, talking about the resurrection. He's going to give life to our mortal bodies. In verse 14, we saw that the Holy Spirit empowers us and leads us to make war on sin. Okay? Christ forgives our sins. Praise God, they've been removed as far as the east is from the west. And now the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and we are to not make peace with sin, not say, hey, it's all okay because grace is awesome and all that stuff. No, in the strength of the Spirit, we make war on sin. And in verses 15 and 16, the Spirit is called the Spirit of adoption who has been poured into our hearts and it's by the Holy Spirit that we are given this immense privilege to cry out to God as our Father, Abba, Father. So, he's, so Paul says it's by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. So one of the common themes I think that we see is that the Holy Spirit's work is uniquely a work that's inside of us, right? By and large, I think we can talk about Christ's work on our behalf as something that happens outside of us. I know you can't universalize this, but just think of it this way, okay? Christ, the eternal Son of God, came and was incarnate. He lived in a human body because he was fully human. He lived a life for us that we could not live. He died in our place on the cross, bearing the sin and curse and wrath of God in our place. He rose again. He ascended. He is now in heaven interceding for us. Okay? The Spirit's work, on the other hand, is certainly for us, 
but it's also in us because he dwells in us. And that kind of leads to um, what I think is the big point of our text today. And I think we'll see how even this is something the Spirit's doing in us. And here's the big idea, okay? In our weakness, which we have, the Spirit comes with his massive help. Now, Paul starts in the general, and then he gets specific, and I will too. In our weakness, generally, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us generally, but we have specific weaknesses. Paul's going to draw one out, and the Spirit helps us in a very specific way in our text that Paul also draws out. So, in our weakness, which we have, Paul, excuse me, the Spirit comes with his massive help. So, let's just think about each one of these. Our weakness, the Spirit's help. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. First, it simply says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, this could mean physical weakness, right? Bodily injury, sickness, disease, and so forth. It's, it's translated that way many times in the Gospels, in English translations, this Greek word behind it. And Paul uses it that, or I should say it's translated twice in Paul's letters that way as well. In Galatians 4.13, when Paul was in the church, in Galat- among the Galatian church and believers, it's, he spoke of his own bodily illness. Okay, so some, something to do with Paul's body that was not right, sick, ill, broken, whatever. And also in 1 Timothy 5.13, Paul spoke of Timothy's frequent stomach ailments. Okay? So it can mean bodily weakness or sickness. And some say it probably does because, because Paul just talked about the redemption of our bodies. But I don't think it has to mean that. And I don't necessarily think that's the way we're intended to take it. Um, I think it's probably meant to speak of general weakness that we have, which certainly can include bodily weakness, but a lot of other things too. Remember the broader context is the Spirit helps sustain us and strengthen us in this present time in which we all endure trials of various kinds. And we do. Because we live in this world. We live in this creation that God, the Father, has subjected to futility. And so we experience the effects of that. Every single one of us do. We all do. In the future, when our bodies are redeemed, there will be no more suffering, no more trials, no more, no more sickness, disease, injury, no more loss, no more death, no more forgetfulness, no more of any of it. But in this time in which we live now, we experience these things. We experience weakness. We suffer from weakness as those who are still waiting for the perfection of our salvation at the return of Christ. Douglas Moo is a commentator. He has a great commentary on Romans I really like. He said the following on this word weakness here in Romans 8, 26. He said, Paul is probably talking about the totality of the human condition the creatureliness that characterizes even the child of God in this period of overlap between the old age and the new age to come. 
Okay, so it's, it's, the, it's the totality of our human condition, our creatureliness that characterizes human, humanity, even children of God in this age. So I think this weakness has to do with the fact that we are human, even though redeemed sons and daughters of God living in this age. The fact that we're not perfected, and so we have weaknesses. We have all kinds of weaknesses. But then Paul gets specific. He doesn't kind of leave it in the abstract. And we have weaknesses. We do. We all, I think we all, in a moment of honesty, we recognize that. But then Paul zeroes in on a particular kind of weakness. Here's what Paul says. Notice the second part of verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Isn't that interesting? Why is this idea of prayer brought in? I think at least two reasons. One is it's a way that weakness is displayed in our lives. (laughs) Have you ever been at a loss to know what to pray? Ever? Come on now. If you haven't, it's probably because you haven't prayed much. Right? We, sometimes we're at a loss. We, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. So I, th- I think one of the reasons Paul draws this out is because it's a way in which we experience our weakness in the midst of trials. But I think there's a second reason, and it's in connection with the specific kind of help the Holy Spirit gives us. We're going to see that a bit later. Now, I need to say something, okay? I want to say this. I want to be unambiguously clear about this. I believe prayer is powerful. I believe prayer is the way in which, the main way in which we get to connect with the almighty power of God. No doubt. I believe that. I've experienced it. You have too, I bet. Okay? We pray, God answers, and it's like, wow. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's immediate and God answers. And there are times in miraculous ways. And I'm not using that word flippantly. I mean, really, like, that shouldn't have happened. Okay, so I believe that. Prayer is powerful. John Piper said something like in a sermon many years ago, I didn't look it up, but he said something like, prayer is connecting our limp wire to the lightning rod of heaven. I believe that. We believe that, don't we? That's what prayer is. It's powerful. But even in that quote, which is like, amen, our part in prayer is a limp wire. It's a limp wire. Yeah, Kind of heave it up there. I don't mean we're just throwing prayers up. I don't mean that. But our, our part is a limp wire that connects to God's lightning rod. Anyone who says they have the formula on prayer and have figured out the secret of how to get what you want every time, I don't believe them. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't buy their books or go to their conferences. It's a waste of money. Okay? And you might be deceived as well. This is the Apostle Paul teaching, right? Inspired by the Spirit, saying, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
And I think in our, in our honesty, we recognize our prayers demonstrate the weakness that we experience. And we feel it. Here's the good news, though. This qualifies us for the mighty help of the Spirit, which we want. So how is the weakness experienced in prayer? Well, I've already said it, but notice, notice exactly what Paul says. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Paul's not talking about style of prayer or the manner in which we pray. He's not saying you're not praying passionately enough, which is good, right? The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, but he's not saying that. He's not saying, you're not, he's not saying you aren't praying in faith. He's saying part of the weakness in our prayers is we don't know what to pray for. He's talking about the content of our prayers. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And I've already asked this, but just again, I mean, have you ever poured out your heart to God in a moment of weakness and need, either for yourself or for someone else, and just thought, I'm not even sure how to pray about this? Or, I don't know what to pray for. Or, have you ever sought God for something for a length of time and believed and were seeking the Lord's will and prayed in faith and and just not received what you sought for and thought, I don't know what else to pray. Now, I want to say, this is not the only teaching on prayer in the Bible, okay? What do we do? We keep persevering in prayer. I get all that. But we understand our weakness, We pray and we pray and we seek and we're like, Lord, I don't know what else to pray for in this situation. I bet this has happened to all of us here. And in verse 27, I think it's implied that though the Spirit knows the perfect will of God, that's part of our weakness. We don't know what to pray for sometimes because we don't always know God's will. Not everything that God is up to is revealed to us. Everything in God's big picture of what he's doing and his plans and his purposes, all of that stuff, it's not all downloaded to us. There are things hidden from us. Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are perplexities and uncertainties in life. Remember, we're going through Ecclesiastes and that, that came up often. Life is perplexing for those of us that live under the sun. It's not for God, but it is for us. And so this is part of the present weakness that we experience. We experience the general weakness of our creatureliness, that we're human beings, even redeemed human beings, but we still experience this weakness, and this is manifested specifically in our prayers. I hope you receive this. We should embrace this. And I don't mean love it because it's part of living in this world prior to Christ coming again. So it's not something that we love, but it's something that we should embrace because the Spirit meets us and helps us in our weakness, in this weakness. And that's what we see going back to verse 26. So what's the help of the Spirit? Well, verse 26 starts with, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's in our weakness that we're helped. 
this week, I just was like, this is so encouraging. I mean, it's so clear. God wants you and I to get help this morning from this text. Big help. Not just a little help, divine, omnipotent help through the Spirit. And I think that's deeply encouraging, and I'm praying that you will get great help today. Verse 26 starts with the word likewise, pointing us to the previous verses, speaking to the hope of our resurrection. So here's what Paul's saying. In the same way, in the same way that the hope of our future resurrection sustains and strengthens us in present trials and difficulties, the Spirit also helps us. Okay? So looking to that future resurrection is meant to encourage and strengthen and, and empower us to live now in the midst of difficulties that we face. And likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Future hope helps us. We hope for something we can't see, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the redemption of our bodies. Amen. That's the consummation of our hope. But the Spirit who is with us now, in the present, abiding with us and in us, helps us in a huge way. The word help here is a beautiful word. It's hard to see all that's there just with our English word help. But it means, it means something like, more literally I should say, it means to join with someone to help or to bear a burden along with someone else. That's the kind of help the Holy Spirit gives. He, he comes, comes alongside us to bear a burden with us. He joins with us in our weakness. He bears our weakness with us in order to assist us. In other words, the Holy Spirit doesn't just send help from a distance, like priority mail, you know, it's coming. It's on the way, and then when we get it, we open up the package. All right, this thing called help. No, he comes, he gives us help by coming to us. I mean, he's in us. I don't mean coming to us like he's distant, but, but coming to us and coming alongside us and bearing with us the thing that is bringing about the weakness and the sorrow and suffering and so forth. Now, this should bring to, I shouldn't say should, I wonder if this brings to mind how Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus spoke to his disciples, right? It's called the Upper Room Discourse or Last Supper Discourse. Um, and four times, talking about the Holy Spirit, he referred to the Holy Spirit in a particular way. Do you remember what that is? The helper. He called the Holy Spirit the Helper. It's amazing. And the word helper there means, right, it's the Greek word parakletos. It means to one who is called to someone else's side to help them. That's the kind of help we need. It's not just wham, bam, thank you, I'll drink, you know, like an energy drink. I got my help today, you know. It's like, no, we need the help of God Almighty coming to us and walking with us and bearing our load with us. And that's what the kind of help we get. Listen to the words of Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
John 14, 26, just later in the chapter. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26, next chapter. Jesus said, and when, now remember, this is all one conversation Jesus is having with them. It's not like he said this the next day or the next week. Next, right, next breath. But when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Now you might have noticed, it says the Father sends him, or the Spirit sends him. The Father, and so I'm sorry, the, the Father gives him, the Son sends him, which is, it's both. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and is given to us. And Jesus said he's been given to us to help us. He's sent to come alongside us in our need and to help us in the things that we need help in. Now, for people who like to feel strong and self-sufficient, this is not good news. And quite frankly, some, there, there's, a, there's a version of the Christian message that the point of getting saved is that God makes you always feel strong so you don't really need anything. And that's just, nah. I'll take this. I want the help of the Spirit. For those who are acutely aware, however, of the, and see their need, this is deeply, deeply encouraging. So what's the help that he gives? All right, we've been speaking in generalities of help. Praise God, he helps us in a million ways. He helps us in all kinds of ways we're not even aware of. But Paul doesn't leave it kind of out there in the place of generalities. He gets specific. How does the Spirit help us? We see in two places he says the same thing. Verse 26, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. Too deep for words. Verse 27, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is a ministry of the Spirit for the saints, for believers, for those who are in Christ. He intercedes for us. This is the intercession of the Spirit. Now, we often think about, or, or at least more, I think, pro probably think about the intercession of Christ, and rightly so. I mean, it's, it's talked about more in the Bible. Um, we're actually going to get to it a bit later in Romans 8. We're going we're gonna to unpack the intercession of Christ. But, right, the intercession of Christ just at a high level is he's our high priest who lived a sinless life and then offered up himself as a sacrifice on our behalf for our sins. And then he didn't stop there. He, his body was buried in the ground, but then he was raised, or in a tomb, but then he was raised and, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there, at the Father's right hand, he does the work of a high priest interceding for us. And we love that. We rejoice in that. We, we sing about that. There ought to be a song about the intercession of the Spirit too. I'm not aware of one. But we sing about the intercession of Christ. Right before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea 
the great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. It's a wonderful truth. Without it, we're in deep trouble. Like, you better be really good if Christ isn't interceding for you. (laughs) But he is. But what about the intercession of the Spirit? Well, to my knowledge, I could stand corrected, this is the only place in the Bible that speaks of the Holy Spirit, at least directly, interceding for us. But he does. He prays for us. He prays for us. Robert Murray McShane, I I should have looked this up so I could have gotten the quote just right. But he said, if I heard Jesus praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't be afraid of 10,000 people that wanted my head. And he said, but he is praying for me. Distance makes no difference. Excuse me, distance makes no difference. He prays for me. And here's the precious thing. Here's the amazing thing because Christ, he intercedes for us in heaven at the Father's right hand, right? There, there is, anyways, I won't go there. Never mind. Um, but the Spirit intercedes for us in our hearts, inside of us or in us, in our inner person. Look at verse 27. And he who searches hearts, speaking of God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. For the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God the Father searches hearts. And and what does he search hearts for? He hears our prayers and knows our prayers and and of course knows the weakness of our prayers and knowing that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And also in searching the heart, the Father hears the intercession of the Spirit on our behalf. And the Father responds to the interceding ministry of the Spirit on our behalf because the Spirit's prayers are always in perfect alignment with God's will. He's never out of step, right? Because God's will is His will because He's God. I mean, think about what's going on here. God the Holy Spirit prays to God the Father according to God's will. Are those prayers ever going to not be answered? Never. Now, here's the question that I'm left asking, and maybe you are too. Um, it's actually a big question, I think, in this text. I Um, think it matters. Is this something that happens without you and I knowing? Is it something we, it's just happening and we're totally unaware of it? Or is it something that happens and we experience and even participate in? The intercession of the Spirit in our weakness. Well, this, this question's kind of keying in on the word groanings in verse 27, or verse, excuse me, verse 26. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I just want to say there are really good, godly Bible people that kind of land on both sides of this. 
But I want to tell you where I land and also, and then may, and tell you why, where I land, why, and make some applications. Because I, um, I really do want this to be help for you today. I don't want to kind of leave this in the abstract. There really are just two possibilities. One would say these are groanings of the Spirit alone, which the believer is completely unaware of. Right? Imperceptible. We're, we, don't, we don't know what's going on. We don't know that it's happening, except that we believe it because the Bible says it's happening. And that, that would be good. <laughs> Amen. God can do anything good for me without me knowing it. I'm perfectly fine with that. And he does a lot of things that are good for us without us having any awareness of what he's doing. Praise God. But, this, so th- this position is like, we don't perceive the ministry of the Spirit within doing this thing. There's another view, which is the view that I take, that these are our groanings, but they're not just our groanings. These are our groanings, but they're not just our groanings. They're inspired by, produced by, created by the indwelling Spirit, which then the Spirit responds to interceding, right? He he responds to the groanings he produces in us and intercedes on our behalf. Or maybe you could even say that our groanings produced by him are those intercessions, the Spirit's interceding on our behalf. Let me just give you four reasons why I think that is the right interpretation, and then maybe I'll give you some application. First, everywhere this word groaning is used, or groanings in the New Testament, without question, it's speaking of a person or people or creation itself in a place of need and weakness. We're the ones that are weak, not the Spirit. Right? He's not weak. He doesn't have need like we do. He doesn't have any needs. So that's one reason. So here's a second reason. The weakness we experience is not knowing what to pray for. Right? Our knowledge runs dry. Our abilities find their limits. So this is all in the context of our perplexities in prayer, which we experience. Third, just three verses earlier, we see that, actually, Earlier in that, too, we see that creation groans, right? Creation sighs and groans, and that we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan. And so it's hard to not see that connection, too. And then, fourth, earlier in Romans 8, verses 15 and 16, we see the Spirit of adoption. When He comes into our hearts, He stirs up the cry of Abba Father. So it's not just, anyone can say Abba Father. You can teach a three-year-old to say the words Abba Father. You could teach someone who's, you know, I guess if you're like a hypnotist, you could teach someone who's like unconscious to say the words. But the Spirit produces this cry of a child to God the Father, right? That's why Paul says it's by the Spirit that we cry Abba Father. So, we cry, Abba, Father, but it's the Spirit producing that cry in us, inspiring that cry in us. Galatians 4, which is a very similar passage, almost 
seems to say that it's the Spirit crying, Abba, Father. I just point to one more thing. The New Testament points out again and again that we are to pray in the Spirit. Over and over again, we're to pray in the Spirit. Okay? Jude tells us, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, pray in the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times with all prayer and supplications. Which means that a part of of prayer is consciously leaning into the indwelling Spirit for help and for guidance and for power in our prayers. We're not just going through our list. I mean, it's good to have a list. I have lists. But we're not just doing that. We're not just saying the Lord's Prayer. I say the Lord's Prayer. I say it often. I say it every day. Teach my kids to know it and say it and pray it. But we're not just going through the motions. We are praying. We want to pray in the Spirit, leaning on the Spirit's help and guidance and power in prayer. So it shouldn't surprise us that if we are praying and come to the end of our abilities and find ourselves longing and groaning, that the Spirit may be the one who is at work even in inspiring those longings and those groanings. I bet you there are some here, and maybe more than just some, maybe everyone here, you've experienced um, praying, and you, again, you come kind of to the end of yourselves, and you literally groan. Oh, Lord. Lord, right? We just, oh, God, we just sigh. It's just this, maybe it's loud, maybe it's outward and loud, maybe it's in your heart mostly, but there's just this groan. Brothers and sisters, I believe that groan is a prayer that the Spirit himself creates in you, which he then takes and prays to the Father for you according to God's perfect will. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said on this point from this passage. He said, there is real prayer in these groanings that cannot be uttered. It's the power of the Holy Ghost in us which creates all real prayer, even that which takes the form of a groan because the mind is incapable by reason of its bewilderment and grief of clothing its emotion in words. In our prayers, our often inarticulate longings and groanings that are too deep for words indicate, I believe, indicate the Spirit is at work in us, producing these groanings, interceding for us in our hearts according to God's will, according to the Father's perfect will. And I just, here's the, here's the deep encouragement. Are, are these prayers ever going to go unanswered? Never. Never. Well, how do we, how do we lean into this? I think it's, um, I don't want to just leave us here. How do we lean into this uh, in our prayers. I mean, Paul brought out, we experience our weakness in our prayers. We live in this time of present suffering and 
much of what believers abiding in Christ do in the midst of trials and difficulties and sufferings is we pray a lot. We talk to God a lot. We, how do we lean into this? I just have three points of application that I would encourage you in. Um, first is fellowship with the Spirit. Learn to fellowship, and I think part of what Paul's talking about here is fellowship with the Spirit, because right, fellowship means to participate in something with another person or other people, but fellowship with the Spirit, who is the helper sent by the Father and the Son to help us. Paul, at the end of 2 Corinthians verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 14, he gives us great benediction. May the love of God and the, may the grace of God and the, and the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. So learn to fellowship with the Spirit. There's this book I read some years ago um, called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, I think is what it's called, by an pr- old professor named Richard Lovelace. And he said, there are, he said there are two things that Christian needs to do every day. And these are his two things, okay? They're, they're two good things. Maybe there's other things too, but he said there's two things. One, we need to turn away from ourselves and turn and recognize that we have been given a righteousness in Christ that is his perfect righteousness. Every day we need to do this, and probably throughout the day too. But here's a second one, and it goes with our passage. We need, to un- we need to recognize, turn our attention to the fact that God has chosen to dwell in his people through his spirit. That there's a person, God the Spirit, dwelling in our hearts. So fellowship with the Spirit. It's a person who's with us. Jesus said, it's to your advantage, I read this earlier, that I go, that I go away. For if I don't go, the helper will not come. But if I go, I'll send him. I mean, Jesus was talking to people he walked with, he sat and had dinner with. He, he said, it's better that I go because the Spirit will come, the helper. Number two, I think to lean into this, we need to acknowledge our limitations, our weaknesses. I'll just use that word because that's the word Paul uses. We need to acknowledge our weaknesses. We need to acknowledge our need for help. We, we just can't be the know-it-all. We can't be the guy, that's, the guy or the gal that's got everything figured out. Right? Six steps of this and, or whatever. We, we, we want to recognize and acknowledge our weakness. Even our ignorance. No one likes to be called ignorant. I don't. You don't either. But we are ignorant of things. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And so we need to acknowledge this. We're ignorant of God's will in a matter at times. And I think unless we do this, unless we acknowledge this, which isn't hard. (laughs) I mean, it is because our pride gets in the way but we all feel the weakness. But if we don't acknowledge this, we won't experience this special ministry of the Spirit, I don't think. And number three, trust. Trust. The Spirit knows the will of God. He always intercedes according to God's will. We have some understanding of God's will, We don't always pray according to it. 
Sometimes we just miss his will completely and we pray for things we never should be. Other times our motives get in the way and we just, right, we're, it's part of our the condition we live in prior to Christ's return. But God knows, the Spirit knows what is best in the situations that concern you and I, the things that you and I pray for. He knows his purposes and plans and he has the wisdom and the power to carry out all that he intends to do. It's interesting that the very next verse, which does deserve a Sunday on its own, I think, is Romans 8, 28. It's a, it's, it's a verse that everyone knows. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know this. And so, at the end of the day, we pray, we, we seek God, we groan, and we trust God. That he, knows God's, that he knows his will, which he does, of course, it's his will. And he is working all things for good. The great things in life, all, because it's all things, and the really rotten things that seem rotten to us. God's working all these things for the good of those who love him. I mean, I think we could say, I mean, I I don't want to get in trouble here of changing the Bible, but I think we could say God works all things together for the good of those who the Spirit intercedes for, right? Because he intercedes for the saints. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for this special ministry of the Spirit. Father, I, I realize that I...